Hey there, welcome to LiveWire. I'm your host, Luke Burbank. This week on the show, we're talking to Ginny Hogan about her path to comedy. It's one of those classic stories. A data scientist at a mayonnaise company starts blogging about their online dates. And well, now here she is with her latest book, I'm More Dateable Than a Plate of Refried Beans. Vulture named it one of the top comedy books of the year. Then we're going to hear from Oregon's poet laureate, Anise Mojgani. His poems quite literally brought me to tears when we recorded it. I'm hoping you won't hear that part through your radio. We're also going to get some music from a Livewire favorite who became a lot of people's favorite during his impressive run on America's Got Talent. Jimmy Harad is going to stop by. Thanks for tuning into Livewire, the show that is more listenable than a plate of refried beans, typically, anyway. So stick around. It all gets started right after this. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of LiveWire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you can call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey there, Elena. Hey, Luke. How's it going? It's good. The rain has finally arrived in the Pacific Northwest, and this is the first year I can say I'm ready for it because it's almost November. All is back right with the world. Give me my sweaters. I can't wear Hawaiian shirts anymore. (laughs) Now give it a week, and I'm going to be shaking my fist at the rainy heavens. But for now, it's putting me in a good mood to do some live wire. Are you ready to start with a little station location identification examination? Oh, yeah. All right, this is where I quiz Elena about a place in the country where we're on the radio. you got to figure out where I'm talking about. This city has been called the flagship city and also the gem city because there is a lake that this city is associated with that looks like a gem when the sun is shining on it. I mean, what lake doesn't look like a gem when the sun is shining on it? Let me try this. It is home to the indoor water park known as Splash Lagoon, (laughs) which is the largest indoor water park on the East Coast. And while this city is, is very associated with a lake of the same name, this is not as big as the lake. This is an indoor water park that's very large, but not as voluminous as the lake that we think of associated with this town. Erie, Pennsylvania? Erie, Pennsylvania is exactly the place (laughs) we are talking about where we are on the radio on WQLN. Did you know, by the way, that Erie also, the region anyway, grows uh, grapes and produces the third largest amount of wine in the United States? No, I'm glad you didn't give that to me for a hint because I never... (laughs) I I know, move over, Sonoma. We're talking Erie, PA, baby. (laughs) All right, (laughs) should we get to the show? Let's do it. All right, take it away. 
From PRX, it's... This week, comedian and writer Ginny Hogan. I am not legally permitted to get mad at you for speaking with ex-lovers, as this relationship is undefined. But I am permitted to be vaguely passive-aggressive for several days, should they like one of your Instagrams. (laughs) And poet Anis Mojgani. I love a holy sunset, which feels as if the sky is praying to me. To us. With music from Jimmy Harad and our fabulous house band. I'm your announcer, Elena Passarello, and now, the host of Livewire, Luke Burbank. Hey, thank you so much, Elena. Thanks to everyone for tuning in to Livewire this week, including the folks out there in Erie, Pennsylvania. we got a great show in store for you this week. We have asked the Livewire listeners a question, which was, what is your biggest dating red flag? We're going to be talking dating with the very funny Ginny Hogan coming up and we're going to reveal the audience response to that question in just a bit. First though, of course, we got to kick things off with the best news we heard all week. This is our reminder right here at the top of the show that there is some good news happening out there in the world. Elena, what is the best news that you heard this week? Okay, definitely the best news for me, maybe not the best news for the whole world, but you know I'm a little bit of a quarter hound. I wouldn't go so far as to say I'm a numismatist. Okay. When I was growing up, I loved when they came out with all those quarters. Um, And I know I brought this up before. I brought it up when it was announced. But the best news for me is that it's here. The first Asian American to appear on U.S. currency is happening on the back of one of those new quarter series. And it's Anna Mae Wong. Oh, right. Yeah, she's amazing. She's one of the first movie stars, period. Born in Los Angeles, starred in her first movie when she was 17 years old, 100 years ago this year. So it's a special time for her to be remembered. She was among five women that were selected to be on the back of this first series of quarters. The Mint, the U.S. Mint, selected Maya Angelou and Sally Ride. And the public selected Wilma Mankiller, Nina Otero-Warren, and Anna Mae Wong, who fought casting stereotypes. She advocated for greater representation of Asian-American performers throughout her four-decade-long career. She was a major fashion icon, and you can really see that on the quarter. I was going to say, she looks so stylish. I saw a photo of what this quarter is going to look like. I feel like people are going to take the quarter to their stylist and their hairstylist and be mm-hmm. like, can you give me this cut? Which will, never has happened in a quarter or any kind of coin before. People are being like, give me that Alexander Hamilton. Nobody walked in with a picture of Ben Franklin saying, no. <laughs> make this happen. Although I have had that haircut before. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm just really glad to hear that. I'm also glad that they announced their next series of quarters, which are going to come out next year. And they include pilot Bessie Coleman, ballerina Maria Tallchief, and the first lady herself, uh, Eleanor Roosevelt. <laughs> so anyway, I haven't really been using coins that much, you know, like everybody else I've kind of been just like using my card and my phone for everything. But I think I might just get like rolls and rolls of quarters and only pay in quarters now because all of my quarters are going to be like amazing women, American women, which I can't wait for. 
it really would feel like an artifact to me, like something that was valuable beyond the 25 cents that it's worth or whatever. Yeah, and you know, they find, speaking of artifacts, people will find coins in Europe in the dirt that are like from the time of Julius Caesar and they have heads on them, right? Usually Caesar's head. And that could happen now with Anna Mae Wong's quarters. It could be found thousands of years later and people would know that she was uh, representative of our times. And very, very stylish on that quarter, tell you what. Yeah, yeah. The best news that I saw uh, this week, or at least learned about this week, Elena, comes from uh, Colorado, from the Silverton, Colorado area. Imagine that you are riding on a train in like the wilderness of Colorado, Mm -hmm. specifically the Durango and Silverton narrow gauge diesel engine, number 461. And you're just kind of staring out the window at like these cliffs and this river, the Animus River is the one that is part of this story, and you just look out across this river, and there is just a person on the other side of the river frantically waving at you, just like, please help me. That is exactly what happened recently to a woman who was on the train looking out the window who saw across the river an injured hiker, (gasps) a woman from New Mexico in her 20s, she's not named in the piece, but we have some details, who had gone on a day hike in this area, was trying to take a picture... Be careful out there, folks, with the photographs and the nature. She tumbled down this cliff, lost consciousness, broke her leg, and was out there for like two days (gasps) trying to flag down trains that were going by on this rail line. So she did it more than once. Yeah. Also, the hero in the story is, is not named. The woman who was looking out the window of the train and actually noticed this But finally, this hiker got someone's attention, and then this woman immediately called back to the conductor, who stopped the train, got out, checked on the woman from across the river. By the way, the river is like freezing cold and rushing very quickly, so it was kind of dangerous to cross it. Fortunately, there was another train pretty close behind this one, and that had a married couple on board who were the engineer and the fireman, Nick and Kyla Breeden. We're driving the train that was behind, and so that train stopped. It had like 327 people on it. They were like, everybody, just hang tight. We got to deal with this. They went down. They crossed the river, this freezing cold rushing river, to administer first aid to this hiker and give her some food and some blankets and to just kind of like make sure she was okay. Amazingly, she was doing all right considering what she'd been through. So they call a life flight helicopter Problem is the helicopter cannot land over on the banks of the river where the injured hiker is. And so uh, they have to land the helicopter on the other side. And so they have to do this very involved sort of um, rope-based rescue system where they basically like get these ropes set up and this backboard and they get this hiker across the river. Meanwhile, Kyla has just been there the whole time with her, just administering aid. The train is now gone and she's just there taking care of her. They get her across the river, they get her on the helicopter, and they get her to the hospital where she's actually doing remarkably well. Oh my goodness. Two trades in a helicopter. (laughs) I mean, I guess the maybe the takeaway is it's good to stare out of the window of a train and daydream a little bit because you might see somebody who needs help. Uh, They also mention in the story that the woman who spotted the injured hiker and her husband were given free train tickets for the ride. Their their ticket was totally comped. (laughs) (laughs) They earned their fare. (laughs) They earned their freight on that one. So I guess um, all's well that ends well out there in Silverton, Colorado. So that's the best news that I heard this week.
All right, let's say hi to our first guest. She is a writer and stand-up comic whose work has appeared in The New Yorker, The Atlantic, and The New York Times. Her book, I'm More Dateable Than a Plate of Refried Beans, hilariously details the ups and downs of modern romance through such pieces as Was the Breakup Mutual? A True Crime Investigation. Take a listen to this. It's our conversation with Ginny Hogan, recorded in front of a live audience last month. Hello. Hi. Thanks for having me. Hi. Thank you for being on the show. Um, are you worried that the title of this book, I'm More Dateable Than a Plate of Refried Beans, could come off as too cocky? <laughs> I mean, I've, I've tweeted the title and had people respond, no. You know, I mean, <laughs> I've, gotten, I've gotten pushback on it. So I think in, in many ways it keeps me humble because hmm. I put it out there and people who disagree have told me. <laughs> <laughs> I read that you started out not in comedy but as a data scientist. Yes, I worked at a mayonnaise company <laughs> as a data scientist, yeah. What was the mayonnaise-related data that you were sciencing? a really great question. <laughs> I wish I could tell you. <laughs> I looked at a lot of sales data on where different flavors of mayonnaise sold best, but it, we didn't sell a lot of mayonnaise, so it was a pretty... I could eyeball it and tell you. <laughs> you, know, you could say, like, yeah. But so you, you started a blog while, while you had that job. You started a blog where you were kind of using data analysis on, like, your dating profile and, and other people's profiles? yeah. Uh, mostly mine and I guess the men who were unlucky enough to match with me. So I, I worked at Facebook for a little while and, and I was given ad credit to run ads and I thought that was so dumb because who wants to run Facebook ads? But I started making like dating ads for myself and running them as a joke. So when you say you got ad credit, because you worked at Facebook, you were allowed to also make Facebook ads for yourself. Yes, for free. You could advertise whatever you wanted. I could advertise. And I, you know... Other people I worked with had really smart ideas, like they sold their ad credit to places that wanted them, but I didn't think of that. So <laughs> I, I ran ads where I, it was like a picture of me and then like a funny saying. It was one of those things where I was hoping it would work, and when it didn't work, I pretended it had been a bit the whole time. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking maybe I would meet someone. I, had my, I, I put my actual number on it, and no one texted. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then basically I got some like statistics on which ads perform better and then I wrote this blog post that was kind of satirical but kind of a data analysis post and then I kept doing that with other apps and the data analysis got sloppier and sloppier and I got complaints from people being like, your statistics are really bad and <laughs> then I just gave up and made it just a funny blog. <laughs> Those are people who really get it. They really, yeah. 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 <laughs> You're like very funny satirical thing that's using a small amount of data but they were like, but actually... Yeah, that's actually exactly what it was like. <laughs> uh, one of the things you write about in the book is trying to kind of unpack dates of yours calling you quirky or thinking of you as quirky. Is that something that you've gotten a lot over the course of your dating life? I feel like the more excited I am on dates, the more likely someone will call me quirky. But I think more recently, I, I haven't had the energy to fake it. So <laughs> now they say nothing. <laughs> I think... <laughs> They don't. <laughs> One of the things that you talk about a lot in your comedy, too, is your sobriety. I'm curious, uh, uh, when did you get sober? Almost four years ago. And, and yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank you. 
I mean, if you are comfortable talking about it, what got you to that decision? Since I was doing so much stand-up, I was out every night and just kind of drinking more and more. And a lot of the time in stand-up, you get paid in free drinks. And it, it kind of just sort of slowly unraveled. And then I moved to Los Angeles and took a break from stand-up for like a month. And that was kind of what, what compelled me to do it. But it was, it was pretty hard to start doing stand-up again without drinking, I guess. But I will say it's kind of, it's kind of necessary because stand-up is like an endorphin rush. So it kind of felt like... At some point, I was like, I don't know how anyone stays sober without doing stand-up. Huh. And it's sort of like, it's for better and for worse. Like, in the way that you can, like, have fun drunk nights and also disasters, like, you still get that with stand-up. And so... It's a good substitute. Yeah. It is kind of, in many ways, a perfect substitute. But it took me a while to get back into stand-up after that. Because in many ways, stand-up is, like, the reason I had been drinking so much. And I hadn't... I don't think I'd ever performed stand-up sober until, until I quit drinking altogether. This is Livewire from PRX. We're listening to an interview with Ginny Hogan about her latest book, I'm More Dateable Than a Plate of Refried Beans. We got to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. Much more with Ginny in a moment. Hey, Elena. Hey, Luke. I didn't see you there. It's that time of year again. My seasonal allergies are back. Oh, congratulations. But also, it's our spring member drive, which is happening right now through May 17th. Oh, I like that much more than seasonal allergies. Yeah, if you are not yet a member of Livewire's League of Extraordinary Listeners, well, now is the time to do it. Why? Well, because this League of Extraordinary Listeners uh, is what keeps the lights on over at Livewire Inc., uh, which is definitely not the association that we are part of. I'm probably a 501c3. They don't let me near any of the paperwork mm-hmm. or bookkeeping, and it's really better that way. Yes. Point is, we we are only able to keep doing this show because of support from our members, and we would love it if you could join us in that right now. Plus, there are all kinds of sweet perks, including uh, special discounted tickets to live recordings, on-air shout-outs, exclusive content, uh, and, Elena, uh, one more thing, that, of course, we would not be a self-respecting public radio show if we didn't offer this. If we didn't offer the most iconic public radio swag of all time, a tote bag. True iconic status. Yeah, but it's not just any tote bag. This is like a really good tote bag. It's got a second zipper, an internal zipper. Yes, whatever you want to put in the tote bag, that's your business, okay? What we're mm-hmm. here to talk about is you keeping LiveWire going. So head on over to LiveWireRadio.org to see the various member levels it does not matter how much you are giving every month to LiveWire. It just matters that you do it because it goes a long way for us. So thank you. Vacations, weddings, birthdays, and reunions. Oh, my. There's so much going on. Get the most out of your spring plans by stocking up on pre-alcohol now. Zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Zbiotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. Just remember to make Zbiotics your first drink of the night, drink responsibly, and you'll feel your best tomorrow. Go to zbiotics.com/livewire to get 15% off your first order when you use livewire at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with 100% money back guarantee. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com/slash 
LiveWire and use the code LiveWire at checkout for 15% off. Thank you to ZBiotics for sponsoring this episode and our good times. Welcome back to LiveWire. I'm your host, Luke Burbank, here with Elena Passarello. We're listening to an interview we recorded with Ginny Hogan about her book, I'm More Dateable Than a Plate of Refried Beans, recorded in front of a live audience in Portland, Oregon last month. Take a listen. This book is so funny, and it has, there's so many different kind of formats uh, that you use to kind of talk about dating life these days. And one of the things that seems to come through in this book is that a challenge of dating in the modern moment is the undefined nature of a lot of relationships and trying to figure out what that exactly is. And you have this really funny uh, chapter, Terms and Conditions for Being My Undefined Partner. And I was just wondering, it's just, it's sort of listed out like any contract you might sign for any cell phone plan or whatever. I was wondering, could you read some of this? Absolutely. And I, I will say, as a freelancer, I sign so many contracts without reading them. So <laughs> this is my first time actually reading a contract. This piece is called Terms and Conditions for Being My Undefined Partner. Number one, introduction and acceptance of agreement. The following shall define an undefined relationship entered into between me, 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 and you, you, Hank. This agreement is a binding contract wherein we can engage in an undefined partnership. These terms and conditions contain legal obligations for ensuring the smooth execution of this undefined relationship, and it is advisable that you read them closely prior to commitment as you requested that the following be drawn up when I asked, what are we? (laughs) For the 19th time. Ex-lover disclosure. It is advised that you disclose any undefined or defined partners from your past, if you have them, which I prefer you do not. Please also include when you last spoke to them, whether or not you think they're better looking than me and their social security numbers. (laughs) This is just for my accountant. I don't personally care. Although if theirs has more sevens than mine, I will be jealous. (laughs) I am not legally permitted to get mad at you for speaking with ex-lovers as this relationship is undefined, but I am permitted to be vaguely passive aggressive for several days should they like one of your Instagrams. (laughs) Meeting important people in my life. When you meet friends or anyone with whom I consider myself on amicable terms, you cannot say you're my friend, as that hurts my feelings. But you also can't say we're dating, as that will confuse me. You may meet my parents, but only by accident, and only if you're not aware they're my parents. You may not call them by their first names until we've been married five years, should the relationship come to that. TV shows. I will pick what we watch until you decide you'd like to make this official. (laughs) This is a standard clause for all undefined relationship agreements, according to my friend who once thought about applying to law school because her floral prints Etsy business was doing poorly. (laughs) If you'd like to suggest a show, I'd like to suggest a change in relationship status. Intellectual property rights. I own the right to tweet out anything funny that we say in conversation because I have a bigger following. (laughs) If something comes up in conversation that I don't intend to use on my Twitter, you may ask my permission to use it on yours, although please be aware that this will make you look pathetic. (laughs) 
I will be unlikely to retweet as our relationship is undefined. <laughs> For more frequent retweets, consider changing the designation of this relationship. <laughs> Limitation of liability or disclaimer. I don't know what this means. <laughs> if you'd like this clause removed from the agreement, consider defining the relationship. <laughs> Termination. Please don't. <laughs> By clicking the agree button, you give me permission to tell everyone in my life that we are officially undefined partners. <laughs> That's Ginny Hogan reading from her book, I'm More Datable Than a Plate of Refried Beans here on Livewire. Now, I follow you on Twitter and have for a good while, and I feel like you, I see you tweeting about a boyfriend. Are you now in a relationship? I am, yeah. I try to keep it ambiguous on Twitter because I use old jokes all the time. <laughs> so I don't want to be The Hogan accused. brand is yeah. <laughs> of someone who's being frustrated in the dating space. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sometimes when I'm single, I need to tweet out an old joke about an old boyfriend. I need to. <laughs> I have needs. I don't know. Well, that's what I was wondering is if, if it makes it more difficult for you to write material about dating and the challenges of that when you're actually in a happy, fulfilling relationship. I wouldn't say I'm in a happy, fulfilling relationship. <laughs> All right, Jenny. <laughs> so, oftentimes uh, when we have guests on the show, we like to give them uh, a quiz of some kind, kind of leaning on their expertise. But actually, in your book, I'm More Dateable Than a Plate of Refried Beans, you actually have uh, written a quiz that's a real stumper, and we thought that it might be interesting to pose this quiz and these questions to you to see what, how you respond, since you've done this for your readers. Unfortunately, we cannot use the original title um, from your book on air because it involves the F word. So we have decided to borrow an alternate uh, FCC approved title from the esteemed British documentary series Love Island. Um, by the way, shout out to our production intern Tunvi, who is our resident <laughs> Love Island expert. So instead of FMK, uh, we're going with Snog Mary Pie for the person who has been dating too long. Um, so in case people are unfamiliar, uh, you must instantly decide who you want to spend the rest of your life with out of these, these three options. So to spend the rest of your life with them, that's marry. Mm -hmm. uh, or if you want to snog them, which is defined as a long sexual kiss between two people who are holding each other. Or if you want to throw a pie at them, okay. that's pie. This is, don't blame us, blame Love Island. So of these three, who do you snog, who do you marry, who do you throw a pie at? Your sexual partner who doesn't talk to their mom, your sexual partner who talks to their mom for two hours every day, or your sexual partner who treats you like their mom. I'm going to marry the third one. Okay. You're going to marry the person who treats you like their mom. That's a position of power. I'm... <laughs> <laughs> I will snog the one who talks to his mom for two hours a day, okay. and I will pie the one who does not to his mom. Okay. Mm. All right. Which feels harsh, because maybe he has a good reason, but, you know. All right. Snog, Mary pie. The OkCupider okay who sends you a copy-pasted 200-word message. Uh, the OkCupider okay who only speaks in one-word answers. Or the OkCupider okay who uses more emojis than words. 
I'm going to marry the one-word answer guy. That's my type. I'm, <laughs> I think I will pie the copy-paste message, and I'll snog the more emojis than words. Nice. You don't find too many emojis to be a turn-off. I do, but I had to pick. <laughs> Life is full of hard decisions, yeah. isn't it? All right. Uh, a couple more here. Snog, Mary pie with Ginny Hogan. Uh, the person with six roommates, but also six streaming service accounts to choose from. The person who has their own apartment, but no Netflix. Or the person who lives two hours away, but really and truly loves you. I think I wrote this when I was more into television than I am now, because I'm definitely going to marry the one with his own apartment who lives near me. I guess I should marry the one who loves me. All right, I'm going to take it back. <laughs> True love or their own apartment. <laughs> okay, I'll marry that one. I will snog the own apartment guy, and I'm going to have to pie the one with the roommates, even though I, you know, honestly, I'd marry any of these guys. <laughs> I don't know what <laughs> All right, one more. The uh, Snog Mary Pie, the 32-year-old who says they're not looking for anything serious. The 38-year-old who says they're too young to settle down. <laughs> or the 23-year-old who says they love older women. By the way, you're 27. <laughs> Honestly, I wrote this when I was younger, and I'm now dating a 25-year-old who says he loves older women. So oh. <laughs> I guess I'll snog that one. I'll, uh, <laughs> but only snog. I don't, in the event that he listens to this, I don't want to uh, speed things up. I'm going to marry the, <laughs> I'll marry the 32-year-old, because it sounds like I'll have some time, and <laughs> develop love, I'll, and I will pie the 38-year-old. Good choice. All right. Those are sage choices from Ginny Hogan. Ginny Hogan, thank you so much for coming on Livewire. <laughs> That was Ginny Hogan right here on Livewire. Her new book, I'm More Dateable Than a Plate of Refried Beans, is available now. Hey, special thanks this episode to Carlos Osejo of Vancouver, Washington, and Eric Rimkite of Portland, Oregon. Carlos and Eric are part of the Livewire member community and are generously supporting our show with a donation each month, which is a really big deal to us because... It is genuinely what helps us keep doing the show. Like, it's how we're able to do it. Thanks to the support of folks like Carlos and Eric. So thank you so much for supporting Livewire. You're listening to Livewire from PRX. Of course, each week we ask our listeners a question in honor of uh, Ginny Hogan's exploration of the world of dating. We asked the listeners, what is your biggest dating red flag? Elena has been collecting up those responses. What are you seeing? Okay. Uh, <laughs> how about this one from Bo? I hope none of these, by the way, actually happened to the people who sent them in. Please. This is one of the few times we're hoping the listeners are lying to yeah, us. Yeah, I hope it's all just fiction. I hope this is a okay. lovely novel of things that never occurred in real life. Bo suggests that Bo's biggest dating red flag is if they ask to get matching tattoos on the first date. <laughs> I feel like I should ask you. So I have like never been on a date, like ever. And so Wait, you're married. Not one that I know of. Like sometimes I would be out with somebody and I'd realize that it was a date. But since I grew up in the theater, like you're kind of just always hanging out with someone and then all of a sudden you're married to them. Like that's the way that it goes. That was your that was your journey of love with David? Yeah, no dates. But <laughs> 
I want to know if any of these things have happened to you because I know you have been on dates, right? I have been on a few dates in my day. So did anybody ever ask you to get matching tattoos? No one's proposed matching. I mean, I may have, I mean, (laughs) uh, on a date or two. But I mean, listen, that can go one of two ways. It's like, I would imagine a lot of the stuff we're going to hear from these audience members they're really red flags if you don't like the person. Right. <laughs> like if you were swooning for the person and they said, let's run away together or let's get matching tattoos today, uh, you could be very into it. Okay. Well, how about this one then from Jim? When they ask about your mother's maiden name and the first pet you had as a child. <laughs> when I first read that, I just thought it was like, oh, this person hates small talk. But no, <laughs> it's just an identity theft situation. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember the answers to any of those questions, by the way. You don't know your mother's maiden name? I know my mother's maiden name, but that's like too easy now. That's also kind of sexist, maiden name. Exactly. But you know, a lot of these online things now will have like a pretty involved series of questions. Like what was the first kind of car you had? Or what's your favorite city or your favorite flavor of ice cream? And those things change for me depending on the week. And so then I'm trying to remember what did I tell Chase Bank was my favorite ice cream? And 2018. (laughs) Favoritism is so subjective. Exactly. What's another red flag from one of our listeners? (laughs) I dig this one from Hannah. When he disappears every full moon. (laughs) (laughs) Check under his collar. How her suit is it? Yeah, exactly. What's the body hair situation? (laughs) Although Teen Wolf, that guy was a great prom date. Do you remember when Teen Wolf and Michael J. Fox took Boof to prom and they did a choreographed dance with the whole high school? That looked like fun. Absolutely. So maybe good prom date, not a great life partner. Yeah, yeah. The werewolves. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Thank you to everyone who sent in your responses to our listener question. We've got another one for next week's show, which we will reveal in just a few. So stick around for that. In the meantime, our next guest is a two-time National Poetry Slam champion. He's the winner of the International World Cup Poetry Slam and the current Poet Laureate of Oregon. Uh, In fact, he is so good at this. This is actually his second term as the Poet Laureate of Oregon. His work has appeared on HBO, in the pages of the New York Times, and in five books of poetry. Uh, We sure love this person, and we hope you will, too. Take a listen to Anis Mujgani right here on LiveWire. Evening. Evening. This is a little poem I wrote recently. Do you remember after, when we were eating chicken and rice, when I said to you that I always love you, but today, right now, I'm in love with you? And you smiled sheepishly and sweetly, and at the same time. And I said, your face looked like an ocean agate, glowing. Do you remember this? Surely you must. It was just last week. And it was such a sweet thing for me to have said to you. And such a sweet way for you to have made me feel. So sweet, I had to write it down. Here. For you. For me. For both of us. Anis Moshgani, everyone. That would have to be the quickest I've gone from not crying to crying on this show. Like, that was zero to tearing up. 
just from those words, like how, how beautiful and sweet that was. That's why I get paid the mediocre dollars. <laughs> hey. Anise, welcome back to the show. Now, um, we have been trying to get you back on for kind of a long time, and usually uh, there was a scheduling issue because you're currently the Poet Laureate of Oregon. That is correct. What, like, what are the actual duties of being the Poet Laureate? Um, I mean, on, on paper, the duties are to make 10 appearances a year. And so, of course, in the pandemic, that is a little bit of a different thing of what constitutes a, an appearance. Um, the, the duty of it is, is um, to be a steward to and for poetry, to and for the people of Oregon. And so however which way I find the ways to, to make that happen is, is what I do to explore over the, the tenure of my appointment. So are you sort of the number one promoter of poetry or keeper of, I don't know, the flame of interest in poetry? There in is state? a flame, mm-hmm. and uh, the flame needs tending. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll say this story, and perhaps that'll like help illustrate it. I was uh, getting a burrito with my friend Jen, <laughs> and... Uh, and we're sitting at this table. It's an outdoor food lot. And uh, there's this uh, person that's yelling for their friend from the back of the lot to come towards them. And uh, they're kind of like joshing their bud. They're just like, hey, you creeper, come on, let's go. <laughs> and so Jen and I are, are chuckling. And then uh, their friend starts making their way towards the front. And their, their decor was so wonderful. Uh, they had like a mullet. <laughs> and they needed a shave, and they had this big swarthy 80s mustache, and one dangly earring, and motorcycle gloves, Whoa. and a motorcycle jacket, <laughs> and then this like hot, bright neon pink baseball cap. And while they're walking past, they sort of like look over and see Jen and I, and this grin pops up on their face, and they're just like, hey, Poet Laureate! <laughs> <laughs> And fist bumps me. <laughs> and they're like, I'll see you at your next show. And they hop on their bike and drive off with this bright silver sparkle motorcycle helmet. And I was saying to Jen, like, that's the engagement that should be with everybody and every poet yeah. all the time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so if, if, as, if as laureate, I'm able to, like, carve us a little bit closer to arriving there, mm. you know, then that's, that's my task at hand. It sounds like it's working, at least with that guy. Yeah. With that guy. <laughs> um, I just heard, I overheard you and Elena talking backstage about this project that you've been doing on Friday nights mm-hmm. where you're delivering poetry from a window. Yes. <laughs> so See? Poet laureate! <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, um, like, in, in February, I, I got this new art studio um, not too far from my house, and um, it has, like, it's a, it's, it's a very bland building, and the window of it just kind of looks like the kind of window where there would be no signage, but it would just, you would know that you could wrap your fist on the window and hand somebody $5 when it opens, and you would be handed a great to mediocre sub, you know? <laughs> and uh, my friend Jen, the same Jen from the Poet Laureate situation, uh, had, like, come by and knocked on the window, and I didn't pass her a sandwich, but we were, like, just sort of conversing through the window. Uh, and we're like, this is super fun. This feels very much, like, very Americana. This feels, like, very 227 or Sesame Street. And we're like, 
we should like do this with other people, whatever that means. And we we're like, yeah, let's do that. And she was like, you could, you could read poems. I was like, I could read poems. She was like, you want to do that tomorrow? And I was like, not tomorrow. She's like, what about the next day? I was like, I'll do the next day. Um, so, you know, I made a poster and threw it up on Instagram and 50, 60 folks came out and threw down chairs and blankets on the sidewalk and street and listened to me say poems. And uh, a couple weeks after that, we did it again, and there was 120 people. And ever since then, we've been doing it, you know, every two, three weeks, and it happens on Fridays at sunset. The big reason or the big thing that we seek to do with this space is to create something that is non-expectational, non-transactional, that it's simply an invitation to share space with other humans. And so, you know, however which way that one is going to, to do that, you know, of course, the hope is that the way that an individual does that is not by causing a ruckus. But like, um, but, you know, that it's not, we don't want to create a show that is asking people to be present in a certain way, you know, um, that I'm going to do a song and dance and they in turn are going to like give applause. It's just going to be with that we're going to share, you know, 40 minutes under dusk together. And that'll be that. Nice. Well, can we hear uh, another poem? Certainly. What are, you, what are you going to share with us next? Luke, this is a poem called Things I Love. All right. This is Anish Mosgani here on Livewire. Things I love, the blues a night sky makes. The bowls it holds for the stars to shine inside of. The sound of a fire moving its tongue against the wood. Riding bicycles with friends. Learning of the lives of others. Getting to know our best and worst birthdays. I love a holy sunset which feels as if the sky is praying to me. To us. Asking us to look at it and know the fierce colors which lay in its clouds, that even the sky needs but the right hour, the right person looking at it, knowing what beauty it holds just inside, waiting to pour forth. I love the crows en masse. They're crossing inside that prayer. Bunched together in their loudness at day's end, their flight looking like the sky breaking apart to spread itself further. I love a spreading further in order to come closer, to see what we might arrive at, a wandering with intent. I love not making plans and making plans, scheming schemes. Building the idea of an art like it was a boat becoming bigger upon being greeted by the water it asks to touch it. I love how the ocean wants to hold us but doesn't know how. Love that even the ocean does not know things. That even the ocean struggles to move against its nature and in this way maybe becomes more. I love colors. How they lay on us and hold us. When they make an object but a plane of their shade. The way they solid and smooth and spill and wash pale or so deep. I love colors so much. How do I love a thing so much that has no form? Nothing to touch simply is. Though is this not, I suppose, what all love is? Even an object holding our love is but a placeholder so that we can try to actually touch the intangible in our palms. How the body, too, is like this. I love writing love poems. More so the living of them. Love writing in ink a scrap of a note 
Even as my desk becomes flooded by scraps of notes, whether they say fuzzy rhythmic vocals or a sunflower taught me a poem or the emptiness a missing or are simply measurements of my sleeves. I love when the sun lands on one spot, love eating fruit off a bush on a street or pulled from a tree or fallen from a branch like a gift, hugging friends goodbye even though I hate goodbyes, when full houses become empty but for me, when an emptied house becomes full, learning something new, the thought of sewing a quilt with a friend and their mother, taking February to begin piano lessons, the piano, how I love the piano. I love when someone plays the piano, when you didn't know they could play the piano, when they don't feel they know how to play the piano, but there they are in the soft quiet that kisses the two of you playing it, and my heart in this soft quiet is going from bud to bloom to petals on a floor in one breath. I love that people want to share things with each other, even when sometimes we do not know how to do this. I love this. Is this not too what love itself is? You sharing you, and me sharing me, and us sharing, and being shared with each other, back and forth, for whatever length always may be. Thank you. Anis Mosgani, here on Livewire. That was Anis Mojgani here on Livewire. He's got a new collection coming out next spring, as well as a children's book, Lifespans of a Rock, which will be out in 2024. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. We've got to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. We've got much more coming up on Livewire. Livewire is thrilled to be partnering with Portland's own Portal Tea this season. Formerly known as Tea Chai Tay, Portal Tea is the premier tea company in the Pacific Northwest. They make one-of-a-kind handcrafted tea blends like cinnamon churro chai and blueberry cream Earl Grey. Use the code LIVEWIRE, all lowercase, for 20% off at portaltea.co. Welcome back to LiveWire from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. All right, before we get to this week's musical guest, a little preview of next week's show. First up, we're going to be talking to the poet Kavi Akbar on why he is poetry's number one cheerleader. We're also going to talk to writer Danielle Henderson about how a tough childhood nurtured her sense of humor. Plus, we'll have some music from Deep Sea Diver, wonderful band from here in the Pacific Northwest. And we'll also have a question for you, the Livewire audience, that we would love to get your responses to. Elena, what are we asking the listeners for next week's show? We want to know, what is something that you were way better at as a child? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. Kind of everything but driving for me. I, honestly, like the older I get, the worse I am at so much stuff. Digestion. <laughs> <laughs> Sleep. If you've got an answer to that question, go ahead and submit it on Twitter or via Facebook. We are at LiveWire Radio. Our musical guest this week first came to our attention as the dynamite guest vocalist for Pink Martini, with whom he's performed 
with Around the World and also on Livewire, not to brag. Uh, He's perhaps best known these days for his jaw-dropping performance on the 2021 season of America's Got Talent, including receiving the coveted Golden Buzzer. This is Jimmy Harrod performing live on Livewire last month. Hello, welcome back. Hello, hello. Happy to be back. How are you two? Good. It's so nice to see you in person. We we talked to you uh, on Zoom at one point when you were in New York. And it was funny because you played this like beautiful song for us. And then I think you said something like, I hope my neighbors aren't annoyed. And I was like, I have had an apartment in New York. And let me tell you, you would be the dream neighbor. Oh, I, I could hear every, I think, rat I later discovered in the wall. So um, not my neighbors. I guess maybe they weren't that disturbed, but thank you. Um, you know... Actually, the last time I saw you, and I don't know if you'll remember this, but I do only barely because I was a little bit tuned up. It was in an elevator at the Lowe's Hotel in L.A. We both got in, and I was like, what are you doing here? And you're like, I'm winning America's Got Talent. (laughs) And I didn't know you were just like tearing through that competition, but you did really, really well in that. Thank you. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a competition and it's TV and it's opened so many doors for me while also like it's it's a lot of work, um, but it's it's been really fruitful for me. And uh, it was funny to see you there because of all the people I'm like, hold on, what is Luke doing here? Uh, I'm constantly seeing the other competitors, but uh, right. and we're not even on the same episode. So we're like, oh, my God, you're here, too. And you're still in the competition. Oh, great. Um, Did you think I was there competing as a public radio host? Uh-huh. You could have been. You could have you could have started singing for all How sad would Simon have been if I was like, this week, on This American Live Wire. <laughs> like, if I was just there to host public radio as my AGT act, I would have been, uh, yeah, whatever the, the fastest someone's gotten three X's. But now, uh, what's it been like for you? Because, you know, you, you've had this great career so far, and you sing with Pink Martini, so people know who you are, but that's a different level of awareness, right? Yeah. Like, people recognizing you in public now and stuff. Like, how is that for you? Um, it's shocking. I think the most uh, shocking place I was recognized was at night, mind you. Um, I don't know how they saw me because I was in all black and it was very dark. But in Romania, um, and they're like, you're the guy. Can I get a photo? I'm like, use flash. Um, and... I'm still surprised. And, like, you know, I've, I've been uh, really fortunate to have people recognize my hair, especially if I wear a hat and no one sees me. So <laughs> it's totally changed my life. Yeah. I was wondering, I know that at uh, certain points in your career, you've also taught vocal, jazz, and, and, and music to folks. And I'm just wondering, like, what would you do when somebody who really, really wanted to be a singer just didn't have it? Like they had the desire, but not the voice. Did you, did you have a way of kind of trying to gently explain to someone that you that know, computers can fix everything? Oh. <laughs> Is that the answer now? Well, I could get in on it then. <laughs> Uh, you know, um, uh, a voice is something everyone has. So okay. <laughs> I'm not going to take that from anyone who wants to sing. <laughs> <laughs> I 
You no. can always get better. Right. You can always get better. I mean, I got so many emails during the show and still that are like, I hear you teach. Will you teach my kid over Zoom? And I'm like, the Zoom days are over. Yeah. Right. For the most part. Um, <laughs> but we had some lovely Zoom days. So Yes, we did. Uh, but yeah, you know, there are still people asking for lessons. And, you know, that's, that in itself is quite a compliment, actually. Mm-hmm. So uh, what song are we going to hear first? This is a song that uh, is about um, traveling and meeting someone on the road that's handsome and not understanding a word they're saying, but they're just trying to say, I like you too. All right. It's Jimmy Harrod and the Livewire house band here on Livewire. Jimmy Harrod performing 
on Livewire last month here in Portland. His solo album of original works, Falling in Love and Learning to Love Myself, is available now. And you can follow him on Instagram, like I am, Jimmy underscore Harad. That's Jimmy spelled with an I-E underscore Harad. All right, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Livewire. A huge thanks to our guests, Ginny Hogan, Anis Moshgani, and Jimmy Harad. Livewire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines. Laura Haddon is our executive producer. Heather D. Michelle is our executive director. Our producer and editor is Melanie Sevchenko. Our assistant editor is Trey Hester. Our marketing manager is Paige Thomas. And our production fellow is Tanvi Kumar. Our house band is Ethan Fox Tucker, Sam Tucker, Zach Dilmer, a.k.a. Pony, A.L. Alves, and A. Walker Spring, who also composes our music. Molly Pettit is our technical director and mixer, and our house sound is by D. Neil Blake. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council and the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation. Livewire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff. This week, we'd like to thank members Carlos Osejo of Vancouver, Washington, and Eric Rimkite of Portland, Oregon. For more information about our show or how you can listen to our podcast, head on over to livewireradio.org. I'm Luke Burbank for Elena Passarello and the whole Livewire crew. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Dear Livewire, when we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many, many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait, actually, no, sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is, uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of Livewire read on the program itself. Uh, reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time because we love having this job. Uh, thank you so much if you've left a review, and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast. 